Hello and welcome to another episode of the Snack Break Podcast. I'm your host, John Schaefer, and on this podcast, I interview physical therapists, fitness professionals, and health and wellness experts. Hope everyone had an awesome Easter weekend. Hopefully, you got to spend some time with friends and family. Um, last week, we were talking about headaches. Today, we're going to move down to the shoulder. We're going to keep the episode short again. I think a lot of people are appreciating not listening to me ramble on for quite as long. Uh, so today we're taking a look at a paper from 2013 titled Shoulder Pain and Mobility Deficits Adhesive Capsulitis. And this paper has really guided you know, how I diagnose and how I treat the shoulder. And I think it makes things super, super simple. Um, it was a paper that was introduced to me pretty early on in residency when I found myself really struggling with I'm trying to get super, super specific in my diagnosis of shoulder pathologies. I think I was really overcomplicating things. And I've talked a lot about it in the past, and there's definitely a time and a place to be super specific. Um, but early on, and especially like throughout initial evals and things like that, um, the quicker you can figure out like broadly what's going on and how you want to treat it, the better off you're going to be so that you can get a little bit more specific down the road. So let's take a look at how this paper goes about um, classifying different conditions of the shoulder. So basically there's a couple different categories um, that are used in this classification system. And those are mobility deficits, instability, muscle power deficits, or other. So basically an easy way to think about this is, you know, is the shoulder not moving enough? Is it moving too much? Or is it a muscle power deficit where maybe their um, passive range of motion is full, but their active range of motion is lacking a little bit, and then that can be more indicative of like a rotator cuff injury or something like that. Um, but again, think to yourself, does it move too much, not enough, or um, does there seem to be weakness or an imbalance between passive and active range of motion? So we'll break down each category here, and then we'll kind of go from there. But basically, when you're thinking about the mobility deficits, this is your traditional adhesive capsulitis, um, not moving quite enough. So easy ways to diagnose adhesive capsulitis. If the patient's, um, if the patient's passive range of motion and active range of motion are equal um, and their external rotation on the involved side is less than 50% of their uninvolved side, that's going to raise a lot of red flags for me and thinking, hey, this might be adhesive capsulitis. And then the next thing you want to listen to is what their symptoms are. So if they're earlier on, you're thinking like the freezing stage, um, they're going to be super, super irritable, not going to tolerate a whole lot. Um, as opposed to if they're a little bit further along, such as like the frozen phase, um, then they might not have any pain at all. It just kind of depends on where they're at in the overall, pro overall process. But other things to look for with the mobility deficits are going to be either age. So typically age like 40 to 65, thinking that middle age range. Um, could be progressive worsening, kind of like I just talked about, a pain and stiffness. So again, if they're very early on, they're going to be a lot more irritable compared to if they're a little bit further along in the process. Um, additionally, joint accessory motion is going to be restricted. So if you're actually feeling the joint, you're going through the joint play. Uh, you'll notice it just doesn't move a whole lot, especially comparing side to side. I think that can be super, super helpful um, to get an appreciation for just how limited it is at the joint capsule. Next, we're going to move on to instability. So this is that category of moving too much. So we just covered not moving enough. Now we're moving to too much. So for this group, um, typically when I think instability, I'm thinking like labral tears, 
um, a lot of like anterior instability for doing any of that of those tests like anterior instability test anterior relocation anything like that um, would likely be positive these individuals might report a history of dislocation so they'll tell you i mean they feel loose they feel unstable they feel like it could go at any point um, also they're gonna have a ton of apprehension so they're not going to want to move through these great ranges. They're not necessarily going to let you move their arm through, you know, tremendous range of motion. They're kind of going to be in a little bit more guarded position. So those are going to be the main things to watch out for instability. And again, all we're doing the first visit is assessing, okay, they have instability. What are we going to do to deal with this? And then later on, if we need to, we can get a little bit more specific um, with special tests. I might do an episode coming out. Uh, shortly about shoulder special tests because oftentimes they're not super reliable um, but we still use them because it's the best that we have as um, clinicians at the moment the next category we'll talk about this one probably one of the more common ones to see that's muscle power deficits or you can oftentimes think of this as like rotor rotator cuff involvement um, and with these individuals, I mean, they'll test for rotator cuff weakness. So that's kind of a given. You're doing your external rotation tests. Maybe you test abduction out to the side, looking at supraspinatus. Um, but any of those resisted tests are likely going to reproduce um, symptoms. And then with any kind of overhead motion, too, they might also complain. Um, or if they're just talking about like daily function, maybe they're reaching up in a top drawer or something like that and experiencing um, discomfort as well. So watch out for any of those signs and symptoms as well as if they have pretty clear mechanism of injury. One that's, I'd say a little bit more common is if people are traveling, lifting suitcases overhead, um, or maybe it's a worker who's doing repetitive task overhead. Those can be pretty clear signs as well. Um, because we have to remember Although our objective testing is fine and dandy, um, most of you know our, the actual diagnosis is going to come from the subjective portion. So, you know, eighty percent of your diagnosis is coming from the subjective, twenty percent coming from the objective. So don't um, don't neglect some of the questions that you're asking during the subjective, because they really are going to guide you as you move throughout the process. Um, finally, we have this other category or thinking about things that maybe don't necessarily make as much sense. So we've got moves too much. Again, instability. It doesn't move enough. Mobility or ad cap. And then muscle power deficits being the last one. So I'm just kind of trying to drill that in your mind as we move throughout the episode. But once we get to this other category, you're thinking like arthritis, joint fractures, um, any kind of like nerve issues, neural tension, maybe if someone's post-op, um, all those things you have to con consider as well. And then like chronic pain too. So that's it. Those are the four different categories that we're working with based off this paper. Um, but maybe more importantly is another section in the paper that I think can be, you know, extrapolated to all other areas of the body. And that's this irritability guidelines chart. Um, so basically it breaks up patient irritability into low, moderate, and high. And I'm just going to go through each category and kind of talk about how you would treat based off what category they fall into. So for this low category, we're thinking pain less than 3 out of 10. No night pain. That's absolutely key. So keep that in mind. Or resting pain. So they're not having any pain. Low disability. So if you give them like a dash, if you give them a photo, quick dash, anything like that, 
um, and it's a low score for disability, then it's going to be low irritability. Um, they might have some pain with overpressure, and then active range of motion is likely equal to passive range of motion. So they're moving pretty well in this category too. Once we get into moderate and high irritability, these individuals are having night pain. So if, if a patient mentions night pain, they're automatically categorized as moderate or high. But for this moderate category, we're thinking pain of like four to six out of 10, intermittent night pain or resting pain, moderate disability on those self-reported outcomes. And then they might have pain at end range of motion passively or actively. Um, active range of motion is going to be pretty similar to passive, maybe a little bit less. And then once we get into this high category, the patient's saying they've got pain. It's like 7 out of 10, greater than 7 out of 10. And they're having consistent night pain or resting pain. So there's not necessarily something that's giving these patients a whole lot of relief. And then self-reported outcomes, no surprise, is going to be a lot higher if you're giving them dash or photo. And then um, they're going to have pain before that end range, active range of motion, or passive range of motion, rather. So they've got, uh, they probably got a little bit more passive than active. And they're also, it's just going to be a painful movement for them throughout. So then how do we go about treating these individuals? Or how do the interventions vary based on what irritability category they're in? Well, if they're in that high irritability category, so they're not tolerating a lot, they've got tons of pain. You're not going to push right into strengthening. You're not going to push into, you know, even um, isometrics might be a little bit of a stretch to it. Really, really depends on the individual. Um, but when they are coming in with such high irritability, you're focusing on symptom modulation, getting things moving. So a lot of times during this phase, it's going to be a lot about range of motion and just improving their tolerance to a greater range of motion. So you could use isometrics if they're able to tolerate them and they don't increase the pain. Most of the time, isometrics can actually be used to kind of calm things down. So that's definitely an option. But during this phase, again, thinking about what can they tolerate? How can we gradually expose them to a little bit more load? Once we get into this moderate phase, pain starts to dip down a little bit. Again, thinking four to six. Um, now that symptoms are a little bit under control, they still might have some, but at least they've got a little bit more range of motion. Um, getting away from more passive ranges of motion is starting to work on active range of motion, active assistive, um, maybe start to introduce some strengthening. Um, you could start to add in you know, isometrics if you haven't already, maybe work in a little bit of concentric motions, um, but start to expose that muscle or that tissue to a little bit greater load. And then once you enter that low irritability phase, or if they're coming in with low irritability, then you can really push the muscle in terms of strengthening. Um, and you can even work on endurance, you can work on power. All those things are fair game, depending on what the person's trying to get back to doing. You won't have as much limitation because again, they've got uh, low irritability um, and they're not, they've got pretty much full range of motion, things like that. So assess where the patient's at, what category they fall into, and then that can kind of guide your treatment. And that can be, again, expanded and used throughout all regions of the body. It doesn't have to be limited specifically to the shoulder. So hopefully this paper was helpful. Hopefully it provided a little bit of insight um, into how to treat and diagnose the shoulder. Um, as well as, you know, how to assess a patient's irritability so that you're dosing appropriately. Uh, if you have any questions, as always, feel free to reach out, shoot me a DM. Um, I'm pretty active on social media at johnschafer.dpt. I'm um, always happy to engage and try and add value.
uh, to your learning experience how I can. All right. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you on the next episode.